0: Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things.
1: Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Recently revealed emails emerging from the discovery phase of Missouri versus Biden, a free speech case, show that the White House has played a major role in censoring Americans on social media. That social media companies like Twitter and Facebook intensified their efforts to silence speech and to remove people from their platforms in response to government demands. Email exchanges between Rob Flaherty, the White House's Director of Digital Media, and executives in charge of the social media companies proved that COVID censorship policies were put in place in response to relentless coercive pressure from the White House. Not voluntarily, as the government has claimed. Government's role in social media censorship has been just as bad as we feared, and worse. We also now know that not only the White House, but also the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Department of Homeland Security, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and other agencies have all played a major role in censoring Americans on social media. All Americans have been deprived by the United States government of their First Amendment rights to hear the entire range of dissenting views. America's founders recognized that sunlight is the best disinfectant, that uh, the cure for bad speech is good speech, and that the cure for lies is truth. Government actors are just as prone to bias, hubris, and error as the rest of us. To dig into this and to explore the unfortunately wide range of related issues, I'm delighted to be joined, rejoined by my frequent guests, Todd Zawicki and Janine Yunez. Janine Yunez is litigation counsel, as you all remember, with the U, new Civil Liberties Alliance, which is representing the private plaintiffs play, private in Missouri v. Biden. Todd Zwicky is professor at George Mason Scalia Law School and was last on the show exploring whether Chinese style social credit will be coming to America. Both their impressive resumes can be found on the Bill Walton Show website. So... Uh, Todd, you mentioned something about our show and its potential before we got started with
2: you. That's right. It's great to be with you again, Bill. And we were uh, reminiscing, if you recall, the last time Janine and I were here with you was about when I sued uh, my employer over trying to force me to get vaccinated, um, even though I had natural immunity. And why that's so relevant to the conversation we're having today was eventually, or quite quickly, actually, that uh, was removed from YouTube. Um, it was taken down as violating the terms of service of uh, of YouTube, um, and to this day we have no idea why. Um, what we do know is that the evidence now that's just come out in the last two weeks confirms everything we said in that broadcast, which is that natural immunity is at uh, least as protective, if not more protective, uh, than uh, than vaccination, as well as the reasons uh, why that was. According to of all of of, of all people, Anthony Fauci, uh, who published an article uh on uh on the failures of the vaccines as well as an article on uh, natural immunity and so uh but the point is to this day that interview we had was removed from youtube we have no idea why we had no opportunity contested or anything else and that kind of shows the scope of the problem we're talking about today
1: so does that mean the goal for this show ought to be removal, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. only if we say, only if we say true things, then only, it'll well, be let's, removed? Let's, let's, well, I think we do. <laughs> uh, that's 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 sort of the point of what we're endeavoring to bring about here. Janine, this is the case that you're uh, you're 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 leading the charge on. Talk about the the White House and the social media companies.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I think when this happened uh i believe that was about a year and a half ago probably the fall of 2021 i think what a lot of people thought was well if this is private companies they can do what they want and that was sort of the defense of this type of action and i think reasonable people can differ on uh whether that should be the case given that in reality these platforms sort of control the public discourse um but on the other hand i am sympathetic to the idea of private companies uh having their own, you know, getting to do what they want, essentially. But now we know that that's not true. And the government was uh, coercing these companies to remove content that conflicted with the government messaging on COVID. So from lockdowns, to mask mandates, to natural immunity, um, a really a wide range of things. And that includes scientists. So in Missouri versus Biden, we're representing Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kuhldorf, who are two of the co-authors of the Jay Great Bhattacharya
1: is a- Stanford, uh, yeah, but and Martin was at Harvard. Was
0: at Harvard, yeah. He's on leave right now. So these now. are not
1: these are, yeah. these are fairly uh, <laughs> impressive uh, doctors.
0: I believe Martin Kulldorff is among the few most cited uh, scientists in the world when it comes to infectious disease uh, issues and vaccine safety. So, and he was censored on Twitter for saying that people with natural immunity and children don't need the vaccine. So I think this shows just how ridiculous. And back
1: in <laughs> what is was November 2020. Or October 2020, they gathered with uh, our friend Jeffrey Tucker at uh, yeah. American Enterprise, A-A-E-I-R, American Institute I for Economic Research. Yeah. Jen <laughs> was there, too. And they spent a weekend talking about this, and there were like 100 uh, impressive people that some, they created the, the uh, what was it, the... Uh, Great Barrington uh, Declaration?
0: Yeah, well, it was just the three, uh, Jay Martin and Sunetra Gupta, who's an epidemiologist at um, Oxford. So they wrote it. And then it was very shortly uh, af- thereafter, it was signed by a lot of doctors, scientists, and then lay people as well. Um, and then sometime after that was really this. It was hard to find it through a Google search and that sort of thing, because it was clear that Google had, de- had sort of downgraded it. And then at some point, Facebook actually removed the Great Barrington Declaration page. Oh wow! Temporarily, but yeah.
1: So you were involved in this.
2: Um, in the, these various uh, yeah, things, yeah. Sure. Um, uh, well, I was. A, I, I was sort of fighting my own fight uh, with respect to vaccine safety, but um,
1: with with your very able attorney. Yes, with my
2: very <laughs> able attorney and Janine, and I, um, I guess had the. Um, Distinction being twice removed since we also did a program for AIER that was removed from uh, from Facebook right. but on YouTube <laughs> yeah. for, on exactly the yes. same subject. So um, it's uh, really quite striking how heavy-handed uh, this was. And as Janine said, they really, um, you know, the fact that these were very distinguished scientists raising ver- uh, raising very rigorous uh, questions was but beside the point. And I think as we saw in the discovery that Janine came out with uh what was it that uh uh Anthony Fauci said that they needed a takedown of the great Barrington declaration
0: that Um, actually came out through uh Phil Magnus at AAR's FOIA request request. yeah so
1: so so now well let's let's, we we were saying this two three years ago I mean we were early early into this but now we have proof and it's what what is the evidentiary you guys I'm talking with a couple good lawyers what's the evidence here (laughs)
0: There's a lot of evidence. So first of all, uh, members of the Biden administration made public threats. That's sort of the that was what made, convinced me that a lawsuit could be brought. So I actually brought an earlier lawsuit called Changizi versus HHS. Um, it was a much smaller, more limited lawsuit on behalf of three Twitter users who'd been uh, suspended for saying things like they don't think masks work or lockdowns work. Um, so the the members of the administration, including the president himself, his press secretary, then at the time Jennifer Saki, the Surgeon General. We're making statements saying that the social media companies were responsible for people's deaths from not getting the vaccine and that they would be they would be held accountable, basically. And they implied it would be through regulatory action or repeal of Section 230, which the companies well, Biden really, said that. Yeah, uh, Biden. Yeah. Uh, Biden said they were looking at ways to hold the companies accountable. Killing people. They were killing people. No, were people. Said they they said. Were killing yeah, people. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So those are obviously very coercive statements. <laughs> and the government has been claiming...
1: Well, I, you wrote about it. I yeah. don't mean to interrupt, but I already have. But the email got, or the Facebook got very defensive, saying, well, gee, we don't, we, you know, we don't like being charged of, with killing people. Yeah. And, and they, so they responded yeah. directly to that, that off-the-cuff... Uh, press conference exactly
0: so. so the so the government has been defending these lawsuits there's the, the the two that i'm involved in chengizhi and missouri and then there are a couple of others they've been saying no 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 we were just like making suggestions for the companies they wanted our input Tra- <laughs> and they that <laughs> then but the, these emails that came out in January from Rob Flaherty, who's digital Director of Digital Media at the White House, I think put an end to that, or is, should put an end to that. Is he still there? Uh, yes, he's still there. Okay. Last I checked, like, a couple weeks ago. Because he's basically, te- he's he's very heavy-handed. He tells the companies, you're killing people, I want to see changes, there better be changes. And then they're r- writing back, tech executives, especially at Facebook and Google, and they're saying, okay, okay, we changed our policies we're removing more people. (laughs) I mean, how can you claim? (laughs) that? And he was
1: relentless. Relentless. This went on for weeks, months. months. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this it's important. So there were another what another document dump that came out in the Missouri case was uh, from later. So like spring of 2021 on. And these are a lot of emails from the CDC where it looks as though the tech companies want to be doing this. They're sort of they're uh, collaborating and saying, OK, how can we help? We want to do this. We want to we help you know, censor vaccine misinformation. What should we be censoring? And so that, that sort of, in many ways, has been the government's argument that, that the companies want to do this. We're just helping them. But the fact is that this occurred after these extremely coercive and threatening statements. So against the backdrop of that environment, I don't see how you can argue that the government really wanted, or sorry, that the companies wanted to be doing this. It's clear that they were responding to pressure from the government and fear of repercussions.
1: And I want to hear you both on this. You're, you're not saying the companies don't have the right to ban people from their service. I mean, if Twitter wants to throw somebody yeah. off, they've got a right to do that because presumably you can go to Getter or some other sort of, um, you know, Trump's, uh, Gap parlor, what's Trump's? Gab or Social, a uh, true so social, social. That nobody's on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Theoretically. Theoretically. Right. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> And Trump's going to pull the plug on that anyway. But anyway, that's the subject for another day. So you don't, we're not, you're pretty, you know, you believe in free speech and liberty and companies' right to do things. The argument here is the companies didn't, they had a right to do that, but the government didn't have a right to use the companies to coerce private actors to do what the government wanted them to do.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I
2: would I would say that uh, um, that it's that it that yes is is a matter of first principles. Yes, private companies can control access to their to their platform, but I think it is actually more complicated than this. Right, which is these platforms want to have it both ways. Right, they want to claim that they're just a platform, so they're not responsible for what people say on their platform. Which is what was argued in the Supreme Court yesterday, if you noticed, with respect to. Section 230 of the- um, I was going to mention that. Yeah. This is the second, because
1: we ought to talk about Section 230, yeah. because yeah. the Supreme Court just- Right. Uh, yeah. and so that's the
2: legal issue. But the principle is, we're just a platform, right? We're not, you know, we're, we're inviting all comers. But then they also want to act like they're the Washington Post and yeah. say that we can control what is uh, uh, said on our, on our platform. Um, and so from that sense, they're not just like a regular company, because a regular company doesn't have the right to allow people to libel other people. To, to say the things that are said on their on their platform and so um, you know there's a double-edged sword here. so yes, the principle is you can allow private companies can decide who comes or goes but when private companies decide who comes or goes, they've got to take the consequences that, uh, that come with that. If the Washington Post prints something that's libelous then uh, then the Washington Post can be sued uh, for that. And what these platforms are trying to say is, well, we're going to control what people say, but at the same time, you can't, we're going to pretend like we're yeah. not.
1: In, in, in Missouri versus Biden, which court are you in and when do you win?
0: <laughs> we're in the eastern, sorry, western district of Louisiana um, in front of... That sounds the, like a good jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> Total coincidence. Sarah, Sarah and I were just reading about Andrew Jackson. That's our, that's our, he's from there. That we There's actually, there. <laughs> we finally, so we're actually in the preliminary injunction phase, which is, it's very rare for a court to order uh, this amount of discovery and depositions for preliminary injunctions, but he did, uh, the judge did in this case. So we've actually been doing preliminary injunction related discovery since may uh and we finally are going to have a hearing probably in the next month or so so then we'll get a ruling which hopefully will be helpful. You guys
1: have actually taken some depositions in the case that's right <laughs> this is the <laughs> so, bill walton show and i'm here with uh, janine unis and todd's wiki and we're talking about a very interesting lawsuit uh, missouri v biden which uh The essence is the White House has been directing the social media companies to censor speech and kick people off their platforms for the last three years, two years, ever since they came into office.
0: Yeah, that's
1: right. Is that about when this started? It was just sort of like, okay, we're in charge now. Now we're going to start bringing about uh, the regime that we want.
0: So it's actually really, that's one of the key sticking points, that the companies came up with COVID misinformation policies in March of 2020. And so the government is arguing, well, they already had these misinformation policies. But they
1: policies. were listening to Fauci.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the the social media companies. Oh, yeah, I mean, sure. you
1: still had the same people in charge of, you know.
0: Sure. So they were doing some of this even when Trump was in charge. The CDC especially was sort of on its own. I, don't, I doubt that the president had anything to so, do with so,
1: that. So we had Twitter... Being leaned, it was a Facebook mainly being leaned on. All by of them, all of them, yeah. But then we had uh, Fauci doing that. We had the FBI. I understand yeah. we had twenty FBI agents in the in the Twitter offices.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: Just the Twitter. Who knows that Facebook?
1: And yeah. So is this? Were they? Were the government people talking to each other? Or was this just all independent? Uh, it, look, action? that's
0: that remains a little bit unclear. It looks to me like they were all sort of they were acting independently. They. the the separate agencies, I don't think that they were coordinating. So I think that's why the CDC was doing this even under Trump and just continued doing it under Biden, but ramped up its efforts in response to the government's pressure. And then I think some of it, like the White House's uh, involvement obviously started under Biden.
1: So when you win, what's what's the remedy? What's the uh, what, what are the damages?
0: So we're actually not suing for damages right now, although that could change. We're asking for declaratory and injunctive relief. So we basically want a court to say... Yeah. Sounds sounds, (laughs) (laughs) sounds dramatic. What does that mean? We need a court to say that the government can't do this. It cannot coerce or pressure or work with the companies. Yeah. Um, And that that constitutes a First Amendment violation. It's really important to create that precedent. And and this
1: would set a standard and then they'd appeal it and take it to the Supreme Court?
0: I think that's likely. Yeah. yeah. So afraid. this could
1: be the case that that uh, opens all this up.
0: I think so. I think it's likely to be the case that sort of sets these boundaries. And it's I mean, it's obviously new because this has just never happened before. So we've never had I mean, social media is pretty new in and of itself. And then the government, you know, using social media companies to accomplish its aims in this to this degree, although I think there was some of it going on before.
2: That's my guess. Right. Yeah. But not yeah, what do you you've been
1: in, in this world? What's your take? I mean, this has been going on for a while.
2: Uh, That that's my guess. I mean, the uh, um, first, um, it's pretty amazing. It's like I'm glad the FBA was FBI was able to spare people uh, FBI agents spying on parents going to, uh, PTA meetings, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to allow them instead to read all of our, uh, our social media postings, uh, uh in the like. So, so you're so. an
1: FBI, you get a call. Am I going to the parents' night or am I going to, uh, the offices of Twitter? <laughs> that's right. The food's we just, a lot better at yeah, Twitter. That's <laughs> right.
2: I think we just uncovered the cause of the crime, uh, crime spree in America it is, uh, they didn't have any agents, uh, left over. Um, Yeah, but this is, you know, what I think is striking about this bill is this has probably been going on in the past. We know, for example, during times of war, um, the government has always leaned on media companies not to print things that could affect national defense uh, uh, and that sort of thing. But this is so brazen and on a scale that I think really is novel. Um, And, you know, the the heavy hand in this, the pure... Ideological discrimination of it. So, for example, in July 2021, President Biden, in a town hall, said to people, "If you get vaccinated, you will not get COVID." Right? That was 100 misinformation. Right? Everybody knew by that time that you could, if you got vaccinated, you could still get COVID. Yet, Joe Biden wasn't banned from Twitter uh, for uh, for for having that statement be put on uh, on uh, on Twitter. Right? So it was clearly ideologically motivated, um, didn't have anything to do with uh, national defense uh, or the kind of things that we talked about uh, uh, in, in the past. And what I think we're seeing here is this administration, the left generally, is trying to figure out where the line is, right? We've always thought in terms of state action censorship versus private action. And what they're doing now is using the power of the government to lean on these guys, to talk to these guys. And don't forget that at the same time they're doing this over here, they're also holding hearings over here. Is Twitter a monopolist? Should we be bringing antitrust action against Twitter? Should we bring an antitrust action against Facebook? FTC is investigating Facebook for privacy issues and all all these sorts of things. And so in the world of the regulatory state, yeah, but, these comments are not in isolation. But, they're against yeah, this but, but, this backdrop and, and, of all these and, other threats.
1: And and your your organization, Gene, is really every day up against the administrative state and dealing with it. But you mentioned a line to so this man on the street who's not a lawyer. I don't think they care about a line. I think they're just pushing it as far as they can to get away with it, but they can as long as they've got the power. I mean, are they really dealing with any niceties of the laws? Merrick Garland really uh, concerned <laughs> about it? <clears throat> Well, I, I think if they, I, don't, I think they know I don't that mind if the co- right. show gets gets kicked off. I don't want you guys to get debarred. Well, <laughs> but I think I
2: think the, the the point is Bill, they know that they couldn't just pass a regulation <clears throat> or an executive order that says the following content must be banned from your site. Right. Right. That would be a clear violation of the First Amendment right. because it would be content-based discrimination um, uh, as a matter of state action. State action is the magic word here, which is. When the government acts versus just a determination by the private actors, and so they're not going to pass a regulation, right? They're not going to issue an executive order. They're not going to pass a law, but what they're going to do is use all this soft power, uh, all this sort of social media companies, yeah, uh, yeah, the the government on the social media companies who tend
1: to agree with the government on these issues anyway.
2: Right. And so yes, exactly. And so in the past, what you've had in a case like the Pentagon Papers case, a famous case during the Vietnam War was the government just said, it is, it, we will prosecute you if you publish those. right We will prosecute you criminally if you say the following things. And that's always been protected, um, you know, barred by the First Amendment, except for these small exceptions for um, libel, for uh, you know, uh, creating a you know a riot, that, that sort of thing. And so what they understand now is they can't do that, but they also understand they don't need to do that. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. And when I say they, I <laughs> well, mean the government here, that yeah. the government
2: doesn't need to actually pass laws to um, to get what they want.
1: So, so but, the, but the, the things we believed two years ago was that the lockdowns were not helpful, they were hurtful. The masks, didn't really, they they were decorative, but they didn't really stop this virus. Um, then later on the vaccine, which, purport, which is not really a vaccine, which was purported to do all this good stuff, really doesn't. And in fact, a lot of evidence that it does harm. And I think Jay was, a, back in that day, said something very true that he said, well, this vaccine, you might want to use it for an older population, but you don't want to use it for everybody, yeah. especially kids. And that got banned. Yeah. And that got that got canceled. Yeah. So it seems like almost everything everybody was saying two years ago <laughs> is it, we now know to be true. Yeah, that's am right. I, am I missing anything? Is there any gray area that well, we're that's, still? That's the
2: joke now, right? Which is, what's the difference between a conspiracy theory and reality? About three months. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I and I think that it this sort of illustrates the 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 purpose of the First Amendment or why we have a First Amendment because. The government, you know, isn't this, I think a lot of people think, oh, there are these, you know, gods in the government who are just infallible and they know what's true and what's not. And then, you know, they should be removing the microchip people <laughs> and stuff like that. But actually what happens in the reality, it's just human beings in government and often not the smartest human beings actually, uh, who are just, you know, they have their own biases and um, often don't want to admit error. And those are the people making these decisions. And then you end up with, you know, some, some or, People at Twitter, or a combination of those things. You know, some twenty-two-year-old who got a liberal arts degree somewhere is censoring Jay Bhattacharya and for <laughs> our top epidemiologists, talking about things in the, in the, you know, the, the area of their expertise, and that really uh, strangled public debate on these topics. So there was the notion that there was a. The public got the um, impression there was a consensus on lockdowns, mandates, you know, the vaccines. When there actually wasn't, it was just that science, scientists who disagreed were being silenced.
1: Did you listen to Naomi Wolf's podcast on this yesterday? No. Two days ago? No. It's stunning. You know, she's she's very accomplished. What does she have, yeah. like, two, two PhDs, a couple of doctorates, uh, you know, gotten all this, done this incredible career. And she, she said she watched the Twitter hearings and looked at the people who were censoring her. Yeah. Yeah. and the people who ruined, yeah. who ruined her, and they're these, what do you call, twenty-two-year-old graduate of uh, of Senator Michigan State. <laughs> with all due respect to Michigan State, I went to Indiana, but, but you know, it could be anybody from anywhere. Are we going to yeah. get to do a, a primer on public choice theory now?
2: Yeah, it seems like uh, this, is the, uh, we this could. is the Bill
1: Walton well, show. I'm here with Todd Zwicki and Jenny Eunice, and, and we're about to talk about the fact that people in government are just regular people like the rest of us and they don't have any superpowers, and they have a the same personal interest that the rest of us do, and they may not be act- acting in the disinterested, uh, um, um, what do we call it? Dis- public interest. F- f- help me out here. <laughs> the public
2: interest, uh, broadly defined.
1: So is that did I capture the public theory, the public interest, public choice theory?
2: That's right. That's right. In fact, I teach a class on public choice uh, in the law, and um and that's exactly right. And bureaucrat, both politicians, and bureaucrats, have give me, their give us, give incentives. us a
1: better definition. Yeah. So, my-
2: so public choice is um, basically the idea that uh, people are people, and you don't magically become wiser or more selfless simply because you get elected to uh, to Congress. Um, and uh, um, and so you have the same limits of information, the same you know, same limits. You're the same person intellectually and everything else you may have different incentives. The incentives of politicians is to get elected. How do we know that? Because if they don't, then they are ex-politicians. Uh, the, poli- the incentives of bureaucrats seem to be to expand their empires, their domains, um, is uh, William Niskanen, uh, former chairman of the Cato Institute. Well, they uh, may be ex-politicians,
1: but they never leave Washington. But they
2: never leave Washington. That's right. They just become lobbyists. And, uh, um, um, you know, and I think Anthony Fauci is a good example of the type. I've worked twice in the federal government. And, and, and I ask people this question, it's like, what is the odds that the, the best immunologist in America is a senior bureaucrat in the federal government rather than a pro- professor at Harvard or you know, making a couple million dollars a year or whatever? Basically, Anthony Fauci got to the top because he was a great bureaucrat, right? And what's happened was for decades, People sucked up to Anthony Fauci. Told him how great he was, how brilliant he was. Why? Because he had billions of dollars of research money to uh, to, to give them, and they understood that's how the game was they played. They were
1: giving out what two billion? No, much more than that. How much research money did he have power over? He and and Collins
2: billions was of that, dollars uh, yeah, literally a right. year, right? And so, <clears throat> for decades, all they heard was people telling them how brilliant they were, right? And he just kept aggregating more and more power to him, to himself. And pretty soon these guys just, you know, feel like they run the world. And so yeah. Collins and Fauci will get together and basically say, we're going to do a hit job on Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kuhldorf. Um And they're, you know, completely frank about it. It's like, we've got to take these guys out.
0: I was actually, we deposed Anthony Fauci the day before Thanksgiving in 2022, and he, uh, he was asked about that, and he said, oh, uh, we were just talking about writing an article <laughs> to explain why they were wrong. <laughs> just disinterested
1: academics wanted to do <laughs> another exactly. research paper. Yeah, exactly.
0: And he kept saying he didn't have time, he was asked about his involvement in the social media censorship, and he kept saying he didn't have time for social media because he was running a $6 billion institute, so I think that's the number. Six billion, Six billion. that's all right. <laughs>
1: billion. <laughs> Well, so what the related issues are that we've chilled speech, not with just regard to the whole COVID issue, but <clears throat> nobody's allowed to talk about the 2020 election. Right. And I guess now 2022 is nobody mentions it, whether that was all kosher, we don't know. January 6th, uh, we haven't been able to talk about it. it's an insurrection. Six police officers were killed where, in fact, nobody was killed. Um but Tucker now has videos. Have you, have you been following that where? I just saw the news on they've that. They've got yeah. how many hundreds of thousands of hours of 14, videos?
2: 15,000 hours or something. Wow. I saw it the paper today. Yeah.
1: So any and, and I think on that? You
2: know, and what I think it's the, the scope of this continues to expand, I think, is your point, which is once the government gets a hold of a lever like this, gets a hold of a power like this, then they uh, um, then they expand and you forgot one of the big ones, of course, was the Hunter Biden laptop story uh, prior to the to the uh, last election when the FBI is, you know, Mark Zuckerberg admitted went to Facebook and said, you guys are look out for Russian disinformation coming down the pike. And of course, we all know what happened to the uh, to the to the New York Post there. Um, and not being able to spread that, uh, that story, which, of course, is another example of something that's true. And this bill is where this really becomes urgent. And you ask the question, are these just private companies? Yes, they're just private companies, but they're special private companies. And, and this is what we need to start thinking about, which is that, if, uh, that, that th- this, in- this affects the democratic process. This affects our power as citizens. If we can't speak as citizens without the risk of losing our job, losing our bank account, uh, losing our, uh, our, our, our Twitter account, right? Now you've really got private companies leveraging power over uh, the democratic process. And so this is what I think that those of us who believe in free speech need to, and private property, need to understand is. There are spillover effects here, that there are spillover effects on the democratic process when Twitter, a private company, decides to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story, most obviously, could affect the election. But all of these questions we're having now with respect to vaccine policy, with respect to other questions of, uh, of, of public, public import.
1: Well, the big issue for me is that it's what some of what people are saying. It's what people are afraid to say. They won't say. And increasingly, you get people not willing to say what they think. The chilling effect. I think you've got lawyers even got a legal term for it. Right. So, you know, that's the the thing we've really got to fear, is that people are not offering up what they really think.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I'll jump in here. I mean, those who think cancel culture is no big deal, show me the people who have been canceled. That's the point, right? Every time they do this, it has a deterrent effect. It's the person who won't say something because they're feared of, uh, afraid of getting canceled. Yeah. So that person never gets canceled because they don't say it. And so we see this on university campuses, for example, which is maybe you know, a controversial speaker comes to campus, creates a big uproar. Maybe that person ends up coming. But the next time that student group, that conservative student group or the Federal Society or whoever is thinking about inviting that person, they say it's not worth it. Right, and so then they invite a uh, a less uh, a less inflammatory speaker. Right, so it's what you don't see that happens, what's not said, the speaker who's not invited. Those, I think, are the uh, um, that's th- that's the unmeasurable but highly crucial and important part of what this uh, this chilling effect uh, has on people's free speech.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, with respect to whether the tech companies should be able to do what they want, I. That's a, I would say that's one of the most uh, divisive topics in the libertarian community. Well, let's talk now. about two thirty. Uh, yeah, let's
1: let's, let's do two thirty because that the first, could we do a quick explanation of what two thirty is? And...
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it essentially, in so far as it bears on this issue, it uh, protects the companies from liability for what people publish on their platforms, so they can't be held responsible if somebody, you know, posts a threat and then or or something defamatory. I don't know
1: if you have anything to add. But. Yeah, and so the, the, the... Section 230 of the Federal Communication Act, what, yeah. 1978, 1986, something like that? 86 somewhere. Yeah. It was put in yeah. place when these tech companies had about $8 million in revenue total, yeah. and they were operating these bulletin boards, electronic bulletin boards, and nobody thought it would really amount to much, but they wanted to protect these little companies from getting sued by people for what they'd put on the platform.
2: And so, uh, interestingly enough, though, you'll, you'll, since you're a financial services guy like me, you'll remember this background. What the, the first case that triggered all this was um, involved commentary on a, uh, an early board involving uh, um, stock tips and Stratton Oakmont. Uh, oh my goodness! That's the, our.
1: That's our. Isn't that the movie? That's the movie, The Wolf of
2: Wall Street. <laughs> Somebody went on one of these uh, platforms and said, "Stratton Oakmont is a bunch of a uh, bunch of fraudsters. Uh, they're ripping you off." And Stratton Oakmont f- sued, as I recall the facts. I may be a little off in the details. Stratton Oakmont sued and said those people are libeling us and wanted to hold the uh, the platform liable. Well, it we, turns out, obviously, that was that was true. And so they put this provision in that would allow—that would protect the media companies for things that people said on their platform, right, with the exception that they could remove things like um, true threats, um, child pornography, right, uh, um, illegal acts, like you know, I wanted to sell you a pound of heroin or whatever, so and that, that's that, the core that it of what imposed it is. an
1: obligation on them to do rep- remove bad stuff, and then that morphed into
2: right. Well, it's not clear whether it imposed an obligation on them or protected that create. I think what it did was create a safe harbor. If they said we're removing this because we consider it to be dangerous, to be a threat or to be illegal. And that's what they're standing behind now is they're saying, well, that little yeah. thing, there was a carve out the safe harbor for that allows us also to remove things like COVID misinformation. Mm-hmm. right? Masks or not work. <laughs> masks don't work, right? Because that's dangerous, it's dangerous. right? It's a public, uh, it's creating a, uh, a a public danger. And so that's where the line Comes in, but what I think is important about it, Bill, is that traditional exemption is exactly that's basically how the First Amendment is structured, right? The First Amendment allows, uh, you know, a, a, you know, you're, you're not allowed to falsely cry fire in a uh, in a crowded theater. You're not allowed to to facilitate, you know, engage in a criminal criminal conspiracy and say you've got a First Amendment right <laughs> to plot somebody's, you know, murder. Um, or post-child porn. Or post-child porn or whatever, right? That's what they were getting at with that. It looks like, to me, yeah. that doesn't apply to just a broad-ranging thing to say, well, that speech, that comment you made is you know is dangerous uh, to, because it means people won't wear masks.
1: Well, it looks like the Supreme Court, based on the oral arguments, isn't going to weigh in on this. Doesn't it look like they're going to send it back to Congress, at which point... Nothing happens?
2: I've not looked at the oral argument transcript yet. Okay, well you guys have been too busy. I had a brief too yesterday. Okay, well, (laughs) that's right, but it is a but it is a thicket. And I think Janine puts her finger on it, which is this is a real dividing line within sort of libertarian and conservatives right now, right? Which is um, what, do, what do we do about this? Right? What do we do about treating these things as platforms when they're acting leaning, like a leaning um, libertarian
1: like a, personally, I would opt for more speech and I don't really care if it, it gets regular but you think conservatives, they want to weigh in on certain types of speech as well. Well the,
0: so there are laws in uh, Texas and Florida that um, basically said that the platforms can't censor people, uh, you know, they can get in trouble for based censoring, on content. Based on via viewpoint or content. So Florida's Florida, the federal court in Florida struck the law down and said it was unconstitutional. The uh, federal court in Texas came to the opposite conclusion and basically said that uh, these platforms are common carriers. They're like telephone companies or railroads and you can't discriminate, uh, there are laws saying that common carriers can't discriminate against certain groups of people. Like the railroad can't kick you off because you're black or gay or whatever. Same thing. The platforms uh, can't kick you, according to this law, the platforms can't kick you off because you express unpopular views or views that differ from the government's. And I would say I'm sympathetic to the argument. I'm also (laughs) a little wary of more laws and regulation because that just allows the government to get involved in everything. So I'm personally conflicted and I think a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of division within them, you know, libertarianism and conservatism.
1: So part of politics. our problem is we can't make up our own right? <laughs> right. Well, and, and I, <laughs> you know,
2: it, <laughs> we do know we don't need another law to yeah. tell us so what's this, right. <laughs> But, and there's two ways you could get at this, right? You could try to get rid of 230, which is, I think, probably not the best way yeah. to do it, because I think... These platforms are really marvelous in the ability of people to be able to speak. Well, yeah. Won't they uh, then, sort of like,
0: not let people just post all, very be, easily because they'll get too worried? That's
2: my intuition. Yeah. But what they could do is, as Janine was saying, like they did in Texas, which is they say, if you're going to be a platform, you've got to be open to all comers. And so the common carrier approach is exactly the right approach. She gave the example of a railroad. But think about this. The post office, most people don't know, the post office is a private company right? The United States Postal Service is actually a private company. It's got a .com uh, email address, not mm-hmm. a .gov email address. But the post office cannot refuse to deliver a Nazi uh, pamphlet, for example, right? The post office can't say, we don't want to facilitate the speech of Nazis or communists or whatever the case may be. And that's basically what the argument here would be, is that social media companies, like the post office, have this Special in, you know, and then the post office also has a safe harbor if they deliver something from A to B that uh, uh, that doesn't um, get people in trouble.
1: Well, the post office is a private company, but the American taxpayers are the equity holder. (laughs) We never get asked about whether we want a dividend or return of capital. (laughs) We just keep putting more in. Just keep putting more in. As a venture capitalist, that. That dog, right. anyway. That, that's and, so
2: that's, and so that's what Janine means by being a common carrier, which would, <laughs> is it unreasonable to say that that you have to deliver Nazi speech on Twitter just like you do for, you know, communist speech or, or whatever? And that doesn't strike me as inherently objectionable. Um,
1: so. Well, but I, I just want to come back to reestablish the, what the White House was doing and what Fauci was doing and what the other, the FBI was doing, putting their people in coercing these social media companies to do their bidding that to me, seems to me there's there's that's a bright line i mean that's we can talk about all these other things but that seems wrong
0: yes <laughs> i mean i very strongly believe this is a really significant first amendment violation and the, probably the most important first amendment issue of our time i think because in the digital age you know if the government if, if this comes out the wrong way and the courts say the government can basically coerce, pressure, encourage, even work with private industry to accomplish what it can't do directly, then the First Amendment is really dead, you know, exactly. in reality. Exactly.
2: In, the, in in the counter argument that some conservatives have made is, uh, well, the government has First Amendment rights, yeah. too. No, right. but they can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. Are, who are these people? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. You can probably <laughs> I mean, guess. Uh, but they say, "Well, the government's allowed <laughs> to tell you what they think. They're allowed to criticize you if you Not, uh, you know." The power this has
1: the, the ability to tax us to death and put us in jail. The, but that's, that, a, little so that's, that's a little different. That's a little different. With 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 that kind of power comes responsibilities, and one of the responsibilities is to withhold from that kind of behavior. Refrain. I I would agree. That would be Judge. Right. Judge and we last, view. you know,
2: last time I was here, Bill, we talked about cancel culture and banking, where they're doing the same sort of thing, using this vague concept of reputation risk to uh, to get banks. You know, first it was Operation Choke Point, but now it's to get banks from deep to debank gun companies, to debank uh, um, uh, oil companies. Well, to the de- big bank one's fossil fuels. Fossil fuels. That, I mean, exactly. they would
1: love, they're, they're using banks to promote the environment, the climate change yeah. agenda. Right.
2: Right. And it's walking along the same line that these guys are doing, right? Which is they're saying, well, we're not telling you you have to do it. We're going to just say it's risky, right?
0: I mean, I think the best analogy comes from a lot of cases, the Fourth Amendment cases, that's, you know, searches and seizures, where the government can't hire a private company or encourage or coerce them to go search your home without a warrant. So likewise, why should the government be able to do those things, you know, with respect to censoring people based on viewpoint? Right. That's, I mean, if, the go, if people in government got up and said, you know, private companies should really go break into people's homes and try to find evidence of crimes, we would all agree that's not the First Amendment right that government officials have. And this
2: was but, the logic of the, Ku, the old Ku Klux Klan Act, right, which is the yeah. government can't, couldn't terrorize uh, black people in the South. And they couldn't say, well, you know, we're not going to be they can't just say not, you know, not, not in a wink well, you know, if you private actors terrorize black people, we might just decide not to, uh, to investigate, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, hey, I want to go into one, we've got time for another segment here, and I want to, this is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Janine Yunus and Todd Zwicky, and we're talking about really the arcania of how, of how and whether we can manage the uh, speech on social media. It's an important issue. But I want to talk about life on Twitter. you 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 both are very active on Twitter, <laughs> and we've had some regime change at Twitter. And so what what I, with, let me open with that. Who wants to go first? Life on Twitter?
0: <laughs> well, it's really weird. I've actually, so Elon Musk took over and I thought he think his goal was to make it a real free speech haven. Weirdly, my engagement has gone down. I don't know. I was certain that I was being shadow banned, meaning that you know, were, my account was sort of being deplatformed because I say all sorts of controversial things about COVID. But uh, I have far fewer impressions and likes. But my follower count is rapidly going up. So I don't know. I don't understand what's going. On.
1: Your followers are going up, but the number uh, but of impressions are going exactly, down. Exactly, it's really strange. Is that because he's getting rid of the bots?
0: But that would mean the follower count would go down, I right. would think. Okay. So I can't, I'm not sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it's uh it's a, it's a fascinating ecosystem, Bill. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm slightly older than Janine. So, uh, you know, I'm later uptake to this social media stuff. Um, and I didn't start actually tweeting until I brought my lawsuit in 2021. And, um, Basically, what happened was I published an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal, and it got edited down so much they cut out a bunch of my citations. So I just said, "Well, I'll just put it up on Twitter, right?" And it kind of went uh, went from there because nobody else was saying what I was saying. So here's here's my observation, which is first, I post when I post commentary, and I post <clears> almost <throat> exclusively on Twitter, not on Facebook. Why? Because Facebook engages in ruthless shadow banning. Uh, which is that I don't know exactly how their algorithm works. They don't tell you it's working. But basically, anything I publish on Facebook does not get read if it's on anything related to COVID. It just goes into some black hole uh, So you can somewhere. still find it, but I you can, can find, find it, but nobody else but can But nobody else it. can it doesn't see appear. it. It yeah. doesn't appear in anybody else's Quick feed, definition
1: so. of shadow banning?
2: Basically, they, they suppress, they dampen. The ability for it to feed into uh, other people's, for other people to see it. Um, and so they've got a, basically a dial. And is so that an algorithm or is, yeah. that a, is that a human being? It's a it's an algorithm, I think, I, primarily.
0: I, yeah, but I think you could be identified by humans and then they make sure that the algorithm de platforms you. So, like Jay Bhattacharya, who we talked about earlier, was uh, shadow banned from his first day on Twitter. So somebody like saw he joined Twitter because he did that about a year ago. And then they said, like, put him on, he was put on a blacklist. So his tweets aren't seen as much as other people's.
2: Yeah, and so they have this ability to highlight or depress um, certain tweet, uh, certain postings that people have. And so in my case, when I would post on COVID stuff, at some point they just basically said nobody's gonna gonna see this, right? And so at least I understood. So basically, if nobody's gonna read it, so then I switched over to uh, to to Twitter, which is arbitrary in its own way, right? But they would just ban people, and so. Okay. What i will say is twitter's a lot more fun now that elon musk is uh, is, is there and we don't How have so? this
1: how's it more fun
2: just you it just feels more fun people can say more things people have been reinstated who are were long gone right it's just a little more freewheeling and doesn't feel quite as constricted to me and that might just be psychological but what i, mean, I would say is if not. people have if people have been putting off joining twitter uh, because they think it's sort of, you know, uh, a communist, uh, you know, uh, you know, Stasi-controlled uh, site. Join Twitter now, even if you just, even if you just read, Should it's a heck of a lot. Should we Donald more fun. to
1: rejoin Twitter?
2: I think Donald probably doesn't need, it uh, doesn't need encouragement, <laughs> um, but um, it, but it really is a fascinating, and this is why it is so powerful, right? It really is the vehicle for bypassing the elite media. It yeah. really is the vehicle for hearing directly from people you want to hear from, without them having to go through the gatekeepers of the traditional media, whether it's Jay Bhattacharya, and Martin Martin Coldorf, or people who are flakier, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and so, the, and this is why the left fears it so much, because it allows people to, ev- to evade the gatekeepers and the media and the government and the universities. Uh, and the big corporations and everybody else that they have control well, over.
1: Well, on the left and among the elite media, J- Elon Musk has become almost as bad as Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah.
0: It's, it's really funny how they just, it, they just pick up on someone, decide they're the devil, and then everybody and the, goes the hero, right? He was saving <laughs> the planet. Yeah, um, I see him as a hero,
1: stuff. but he's been really eviscerated.
0: Oh, yeah. But it's really
2: quite remarkable, Bill, is that, you know, I don't have a huge number of followers. Uh, Janine has a lot, right? But something that somebody like Janine or a larger follower could be seen millions of times on Twitter. And millions of people will see it all around the world. By contrast, CNN, an average show on CNN gets, what, a couple hundred thousand viewers? Um, The reach of these platforms is mind-boggling.
1: Unless it's Don Lamont talking about women. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I have That's to right. watch that clip. It. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, yeah, but you're you right. Yeah, yeah. but it, the
2: point is, is this is really is a very powerful thing, and this is yeah. what Elon Musk and I give Elon Musk credit, which is that Elon Musk saw this and said, I don't know whether I'm going to make any money off of this, but this is really important for society that we have a place where this can be done. That place used to be universities, and everybody knows it's not universities anymore. Um, And and Twitter is, and social media in theory, is the last place where people can theoretically speak freely and and invade these gatekeepers. Right.
1: You say some very blunt things on Twitter. (laughs) What's your subjective experience of this? I know we talked about your numbers, but how do you feel about the experience now versus a year ago?
0: It's much better. So I mean, I think one you know, one thing a lot of people don't necessarily realize is how important it is, although Todd just got to the heart of that. It's also important for my job. I, you know, I tell people what I'm doing, they're interested, that helps my organization and, and, you know, me continue to do the work. So I really didn't want to lose my account, but people were being censored so much for saying anything critical about the vaccines or anything good about natural immunity. Um, I was afraid, so I got creative. So you had you know, the chilling oh, cloud hovering, hovering over what chilling. you're saying. Yeah, I was, I, 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 I got to
1: stay on this. And, uh...
0: Yeah, no, I really didn't want to lose my account. And at some point, they were suspending people so much. This was actually right around the time the Biden administration started threatening uh, the companies, which I think is further ev- evidence that the companies were reacting to that. But um, but yeah, I really didn't want to lose my account. So I would say things like, here's an article uh, about the vaccines. You should read it. Because <laughs> <it's, laughs> it said things like, you know, the vaccines don't stop transmission or something, because I was afraid to actually say it. So it's it's really refreshing to not have to. I don't worry about it anymore because... They're not enforcing their COVID misinformation policy under Elon. He said explicitly they're not doing it. Now the government is using that to say that our cases are moot, which is what happens when there's uh, the, the conduct you're complaining of has ceased. So they're saying that, well, Elon Musk did away with the COVID misinformation policy, so your plaintiffs have nothing to complain about. In one of my cases, Missouri is broader, but my uh, Chang'ezy case is just Twitter. So um, it, we're...
1: Over well, let we got a few couple minutes left. So, where where are things now? I mean, we've now seen these shocking reports of the Twitter offices housing all these FBI agents and all the other stuff we've been talking about. Has as as all this uh, disclosure changed anything? Is is the government backing off, or do we still think they're doing it in a in maybe a less obvious way?
0: I doubt they're backing off. I mean, I. I don't I can't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes right now, but in the middle of the Missouri lawsuit, when some really some of this really big information came out, the current press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, was going back on uh, during her press conferences and saying, We have our eye on the we have our eye on Elon Musk and Twitter, and if he's not, you know, if he's not censoring misinformation, we're gonna be doing something about is it. Is she a dim so.
1: bulb or is she a dim bulb?
0: <laughs> She's a dim bulb. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I don't think they care at all. They're very brazen.
2: Yeah, they they are, and I think there's an important lesson here, right? Which is first, I, I agree with Janine that this line of cases that they're pursuing right now is the most important First Amendment cases of our generation and for, and for the future, precisely because in the world of the regulatory state, this ability of the government to have so many different ways to exercise influence over supposedly private companies, uh, um, is is really powerful um, and everybody knows it's in the background, right? And a lot of times they don't even hide it. They're just you know rattling their saber over at banks and that sort of thing. And so figuring out and coming up with a way of the First Amendment, preventing the government from end running the protections for free speech, um, essentially doing like the uh, Ku Klux Klan Act and basically you know empowering and sort of encouraging private actors to do the government's bidding. That is a really important precedent here, and especially important because we can't get our hands around uh, the, the regulatory state. And what we're hearing here from them, the rationales are really scary, You know, which is they say, well, this is just good for the public if we do this. We don't allow people to have misinformation about our policies. You know who else said that? It was Vladimir Putin. <laughs> When yeah. he was censoring people in Russia yeah. because they were undermining faith in the war effort against Ukraine, he's like they're spreading misinformation about our war effort in Ukraine, and so as a result, we're going to uh, you know keep them from uh, from speaking. And so, um, and so that's the first part. The second thing is I think we need to think more creatively, not just about using the First Amendment as a shield, which is a very important shield, but to think more about the kind of things we've been kind of weaving into, which is common carrier regulation, things like that where we can actually affirmatively promote free speech rather than constantly be responding to what the government is doing here.
1: But when do we have the power to do that? I mean, you know, when Janine wins her case, we're going to win that in the next six months, we hope.
0: Well, that's just a preliminary injunction. The whole case will probably take years. (laughs) So we may be
1: into another administration. So we're (laughs) going to need a new administration to make these kind of changes.
2: Yeah, and so last time I was here again, Bill, we talked about the uh, fair access to financial services rule in banking, for example.
1: It's getting worse. Yeah, which prohibit
2: banks from discriminating against fossil fuels, discriminating against gun companies, discriminating against individuals based on anything other than financial risk. Do I like that? No. Do I think it might be necessary? It might be, because it's clear the banks aren't going to police themselves on this. And it's clear that the government is probably doing the same thing to the banks. We know during the Obama administration they did exactly to the banks what the government is doing here under Operation Choke Point. And, and so it's much um,
1: less easy. It's much less easy to detect that.
2: And it's much less easy to detect that because of the supervision process. They basically took that model, moved it over here to social media, and they're gonna, I think, keep pushing the boundary if they think they can get yeah. political uh, 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 so, uh, elements out of this. And if we're constantly having to bring lawsuits to stop them over and over again,
1: that's so, not so, that effective. So we gotta wrap up. What what didn't we get a chance to talk about that we need to talk about next time?
0: Um, well, we didn't talk about the California misinformation law, which I think is important because uh, which what happens? Is... That was California passed a law um, recently saying that doctors should be disciplined for spreading misinformation about COVID to patients, and misinformation is very poorly okay, defined. So a, <laughs> we'll, put,
1: we'll put that in our list. Yeah. That was, that's one. What else do we do? We got to talk about the banks. It's just not the banks. It's all financial services industry.
2: That's right. It's financial services. It's these guys, Um, and um, I think it's a model that, if it's allowed to stand here, it's a model that's going to spread. That's Uh, right. uh, Is if the government realizes that there's a a, a line here and the lines out here, they're gonna they push
0: right up to that line. Um,
1: Is your group doing anything in financial services?
0: Um. Not that I can think of at the moment off the top of my head. There could be something, but we have a lot of lawsuits. Afoot. I mean, the administrative <laughs> yeah.
1: state is very active at the Fed, for example, where they want to create central bank digital currencies. Yeah. And talk I, about coercion. I mean, they're gonna, your your bank account's going to be at the Fed.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't think so. We have some lawsuits against the student loan uh, handout. $10,000 or whatever, but that's good. Not exactly what you're getting <laughs> at. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that gets
2: straight to the social credit uh, questions that we're all nervous about.
1: Okay, we've got, we, there's a lot to cover, yeah. and uh, we will, there'll be a next time. This is, this is uh, too chock full with good stuff, or at least sobering stuff. Yeah. So this has been the Bill Walton Show, and I've been here with Janine Yunus and, and Todd's Wiki, and we've been talking about uh, Missouri v. Biden, which is the opportunity to uh, Rein in the White House's uh, coercion through social media companies. Uh, and anyway, thanks you guys for joining, and also thank you all for joining. And as, you, as usual, you can find us on all the major pod, podcast platforms, uh, YouTube, I think, unless we get banned <laughs> at this time. The last one got banned. We may be pulled. But hello, YouTube, uh, and uh, and Rumble, and uh, we're on social. We're on uh, Substack, and also on CPAC now. On Monday nights, and so uh, join us then, and send us your comments via either Substack or uh, the website, the thebillwaltonshow.com. We pay a lot of attention to what you're interested in, what we're hearing us talk about, and we'll follow up accordingly. So, anyway, thanks for joining, and uh, talk soon. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button, or head over to the thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over a hundred episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.